0: Hello everybody, you're listening to Revolutionary Lumpin' Radio. In this episode we're going to read the ideology of the Black Panther Party. The reason we're going to do this is because Marxist-Leninism is a strain of Marxism, the scientific socialist tradition. However, the Panthers had their own, they had to build on Marxist-Leninism. that incorporated their black radical struggles under the economic, social conditions of capitalism at their time, as well as around the practice which they can obviously participate in to have a material change in their community. So to me, this is particularly interesting for a number of things, not just because it was literally the ideology of the Black Panthers that meant that the Black Panthers were walking, talking, breathing through this ideological understanding of the world so what is ideology so it's a difference between how things are seen and how they are you use ideology to fill in the blanks and um, so for example you can say that like reading is a form of ideology in the sense that like you look at shapes and then depending on what language you know you will interpret those shapes as letters and then thus words so, it's all about interpretation and having that ideological lens can help focus some things that didn't normally make sense into a way that, like, have a purpose behind it and ideology you can use to understand that purpose. It's important that the Panthers obviously were uniform in this, like, today we've got Marxist Leninism, Marxist and Maoism, you know, all these different stratas of, of like, thought, but. You know the Panthers had to have their own and to me this is like the most concrete advanced form of Marxist Leninism that has generally been overlooked and so I've read this out to people to make it more accessible because it's definitely something I'm going to work on as a Marxist lumpen to reorient the need for the lumpen and black radical tradition struggle in European Marxism today both throughout the imperial core. So yeah, you're obviously joined by your host, Shibi. Give us a follow on your podcast player, and if you're listening on iTunes, just scroll down to the bottom and give us a five-star rating, please. Thanks very much. Well, further ado, let's dive into this now. We have said... The ideology of the Black Panther Party is the historical experience of black people and the wisdom gained by black people in their 400-year-long struggle against the system of racist oppression and economic exploitation in Babylon, interpreted through the prism of the Marxist-Leninist analysis by our Minister of Defence, Huey P. Newton. However... We must place heavy emphasis upon the last part of that definition interpreted by our Minister of Defence. The world of Marxist-Leninism has become a jungle of opinion in which conflicting interpretations from right revisionism to left dogmatism foist off their reactionary and blind philosophies as revolutionary Marxist-Leninism around the world and in every nation, people, all who call themselves Marxist-Leninists, are at each other's throats. Such a situation presents serious problems to a young party such as ours that is still in the process of refining its ideology. When we say that we are Marxist-Leninists, we mean that we have studied and understood the classical principles of scientific socialism and that we have adapted these principles to our own situation for ourselves. However, we do not move with a closed mind to new ideas or information. At the same time, we know that we must rely upon our own brains in solving ideological problems as they relate to us. For too long, Black people have relied upon the analysis and ideological perspectives of others. Our struggle has reached a point now where it would be absolutely suicidal for us to continue this posture of dependency. No other people in the world are in the same position as we are, and no other people in the world can get us out of it except ourselves there are those all too willing to do our thinking for us, even if it gets us killed. However, they are not willing to follow through and do our dying for us. If thoughts bring about our deaths, let them at least be our own thoughts, so that we will have broken once and for all with this flunkeyism of dying for every cause and every error. Accept our own. One of the great contributions of Huey P. Newton is that he gave the Black Panther Party a firm ideological foundation that frees us from ideological flunkyism and opens up the path to the future. A future to which we must provide new ideological formulations to fit our ever changing situation. Much, or most, of the teachings of Huey P. Newman are unknown to the people because he is being placed in a position where it's impossible for him to really communicate with us, and much that he taught while he was free has got him distorted and watered down precisely because the Black Panther Party has been too hung up in relating to the courts and trying to put on a good face in order to help lawyers convince juries of the justice of our cause. This whole court hanging up has created much confusion. For instance, many people confuse the Black Panther Party with the Free Huey movement or Many other mass activities that we've been forced to indulge in, in order to build mass support for our comrades who have gotten captured by the pigs. We are absolutely correct in indulging in such mass activity, but we are wrong when we confuse our mass line with our party line. Essentially, what we did was to provide the ideology and the methodology for organising the black urban lumpenproletariat. Armed with this ideological perspective and method, Huey transformed the black lumpenproletariat from the forgotten people at the bottom of society into the vanguard of the proletariat. There is a lot of confusion whether we are members of the working class or whether we are lumpen proletariat. It is necessary to confront this confusion because it has a great deal to do with strategy and tactics that we follow and with our strained relations with the white radicals from the oppressive section of Babylon. Some so-called Marxist-Leninists will attack us for for what we've got to say But that is a good thing and not a bad thing because some people call themselves Marcus Leninists who are downright enemies of the black people, like later to them. We want them to step boldly forward as they will do, blinded by their own stupidity and racist arrogance, so that it will be easier for us to deal with them into the future. We make these criticisms in a fraternal spirit of how some Marxist-Leninists applied the classical principles to the specific situation that exists in the United States because we believe in the need for a unified revolutionary movement in the United States, a movement that is informed by the revolutionary principles of scientific socialism. Huey Newton said that power is the ability to divine a phenomena and make it act in a desired manner. And we need power, desperately, to counter the power of the pigs that now bears so heavily upon us. Ideology is a comprehensive definition of a status quo that takes into account both the history and the future of that status quo and serves as the social glue that holds a people together and through which a people can relate to the world and other groups of people in the world. The correct the ideology is an invincible weapon against the oppressors in our struggle for freedom and liberation. Marx defined the epoch of the bourgeoisie and laid bare the direction of the proletariat future. He analysed capitalism and defined the method of its doom. violent revolution by the proletariat against the bourgeois state apparatus of class oppression and repression. Revolutionary violence against the counter-revolutionary class violence perpetrated through the special repressive force of the armed tentacles of the state. This great definition by Marx and Engels became the mightiest weapon in the hands of oppressed people in the history of ideology. It marks a gigantic advance for all mankind, and since Marx's time, his definition has been strengthened, further elaborated, illumined, and further refined, but Marxism has never really dealt With the United States of America. There have been some nice attempts, people have done the best that they know how. However, in the past, Marxist-Leninists in the United States have relied too heavily upon foreign imported analysis and have seriously distorted the realities of the American scene. You might say that the Marxist-Leninism of the past belongs to the gestation period of Marxist-Leninism in the United States and that now is the time when a new strictly American ideological synthesis will arise, springing up from the hearts and the souls of the oppressed people inside Babylon and uniting these people and hailing them mightily from the force of their struggle into the future. The swiftly developing revolution in America is like the gathering of a mighty storm and nothing can stop that storm from finally bursting inside America washing away the pigs of power structure and all their foul, oppressive works. And the children of the pigs and the oppressed people will dance and spit upon the common graves of these pigs. There are some black people in the United States who are absolutely happy, who do not feel themselves to be oppressed, and who think that they are free. Some even believe that the president wouldn't lie, and that he is more or less an honest man, that Supreme Court decisions were almost written by God in person, that the police are the guardians of the law, And the people who do not have jobs are just plain lazy and good for nothings who should be severely punished. These are like crabs that must be left to boil a little longer in the pot of oppression before they'll be ready and willing to relate. But the overwhelming majority of black people are uptight. No, they are oppressed and not free. And they wouldn't believe Nixon if he confessed to being a pig. They don't relate to the Supreme Court or any other court. And they know that the racist pig cops are their sworn enemies. As for poverty, they know what that is all about. These millions of black people have no political representation. They are unorganized and they do not own or control any of the natural resources. They neither own nor control any of the industrial machinery and their daily life is a hustle to make it by any means necessary in the struggle to survive. Every black person knows the wind may change at any given moment and that the lynch mob made up of white members of the working class might come breathing down his neck if not kicking down his door. It is because of these factors that when we begin to talk about being Marxist-Leninist we must be careful to make it absolutely clear just what we're talking about. On the subject of racism, Marxist-Leninism offers us very little assistance. In fact, there is much, there's much evidence that Marx and Engels were themselves racist, just like the white brothers and sisters of their era, and just like many Marxist-Leninists of our own time are also racists. Historically, Marxist-Leninism has been an outgrowth of European problems and has been primarily preoccupied with finding solutions to European problems. With the founding of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea in 1948 and the People's Republic of China in 1949, something new was injected into Marxist-Leninism and it ceased to be just a narrow, exclusively European phenomenon. Comrade Kim Il-sung and Comrade Mao-sung applied the classical principles of Marxist-Leninism to the conditions in their own countries and thereby made the ideology into something useful for their people. But they rejected that part of the analysis that was not beneficial to them and had only to do with the welfare of Europe. Given the racist history of the United States, it is very difficult for the black people to comfortably call themselves Marxist-Leninists or anything else that takes its name from a white people. It's like praying to Jesus, a white man. We must emphasise to the fact that Marx and Lenin didn't invent socialism. They only added their contributions enriching rich and the doctrine, just as many others did before them and after them. And we must remember that Marx and Lenin didn't organize the Black Panther Party. Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale did. Not until we reach Fanon do we find major Marxist-Leninist theoretician who was primarily concerned about the problems of black people wherever they may be found, and even Fanon, in his published works, was primarily focused on Africa. It is only indirectly that his works are beneficial to Afro-Americans. It is just easier to relate to Fernand because he is clearly free of the racist bias that blocks out so much of the black man in the hands of the whites who are primarily interested in themselves and the problems of their own people. But even though we are able to relate heavily to Fanon, he has not given us the last word on applying the Marxist-Leninist analysis to our problems inside the United States. Nobody is going to do this for us because nobody can. We have got to do it ourselves and until we do, we are going to be uptight. We must take the teachings of Huey P. Newton as our foundation and go from there. Any other course will bring us into a sorry and regrettable end. Fernand delivered a devastating attack upon Marxist-Leninism for its narrow, narrow preoccupation with Europe and the affairs and salvation of white folks while lumping all third world peoples into the category of the lumpen proletariat. And then forgetting them there. Fernand unearthed the category of the proletariat and began to deal with it, recognizing the vast majorities of the colonized people fall into that category. It is because of the fact that black people in the United States are also colonized that Fanon's analysis is so relevant to us. After studying Fanon, Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale began to apply his analysis to colonized people to black people in the United States. They adopted the Fanonian perspective, but they gave it a uniquely Afro-American content. Just as we make the distinctions between the mother country and the colony, while de- when dealing with black people and white people as a whole, we must also make this distinction when we deal with the categories of the working class and the lumpenproletariat. We have in the United States a mother country, working class and a working class from the black colony. We also have a mother country lump and proletariat and a lump and proletariat from the black colony. Inside the mother country, these categories are fairly stable, but when we look at the black colony, we find that the hard and fast distinctions melt away. This is because of the leveling effect and the colonial process And the fact that all black people are colonised, even if some of them occupy favoured positions in the schemes of the mother country trying country colonising exploiters. There is a difference between the problems of the mother country working class and the working class from the black colony. There is also a difference between the mother country lumping and the lumping from the black colony. We have nothing to gain from trying to smooth over these differences as though they don't exist, because they are objective facts that we must deal with. To make this point clear, we only have to look at the long and bitter history of the struggles of black colony workers fighting for democracy inside mother country labour unions. Historically, we've fallen into the trap of criticising mother country labour unions and workers for the racism as an explanation for the way they treat black workers. Of course, they are racist, but this is not the full explanation. White workers belong to a totally different world than that of black workers. They're caught up in a totally different economic, political and social reality. And on the basis of this distinct reality, the pigs of the power structure and treacherous labor leaders find it very easy to manipulate them with Babylonian racism. This complex reality presents us with many problems and only through proper analysis can these problems be solved. The lack of a proper analysis is responsible for the ridiculous approach to these problems that we find among mother country Marxist-Leninists, and their improper analysis leads them to advocate solutions that are doomed to failure in advance. The key areas of the confusion has to do with falsely assuming the existence of one all-American proletariat, one all-American working class, and one all-American lumpenproletariat, proletariat. Okay, we are lumping right on. The lumping proletariat are all those who have no secure relationship or vested interest in the means of production and the institutions of capitalist society. The part of the industrial reserve army held perpetually in reserve who have never worked and never will, who can't find a job, who are unskilled and unfit, who have been displaced by machines, automation and cybernation, and were never retained or invested with new skills, all those on welfare or receiving state aid. Also, the so-called criminal elements. Those who live by their wits existing, of which they can rip off, who stick guns in the faces of businessmen and say stick him up, or give it up. Those who don't even want a job, who hate to work and can't relate to punching some pig's time clock, who would rather punch a pig in the mouth or robbing them, punch that same pig's clock and work for him those whom Huey P. Newton calls the illegitimate capitalists, in short, all those who have simply been locked out of the economy and robbed of their rightful social heritage. But even though we are lumping, we are still members of the proletariat, a category which theoretically cuts across national boundaries, which in practice leaves something to be desired. Contradictions within the proletariat of the USA. In both the mother country and the black colony, the working class is the right wing of the proletariat and the lumpen proletariat is the left wing. Within the working class itself, we have a major contradiction between the unemployed and the employed. And we definitely have a major contradiction between the working class and the lumpen. Some blind, so-called Marxist-Leninists accuse the lumpen of being parasites upon the working class. This is a stupid charge derived from reading too many of Marxist footnotes and taking some of his offhand scurvy remarks for holy writ. In reality, it is accurate to say that the working class, particularly the American working class, is a parasite upon the heritage of mankind, of which the lumpen has been totally robbed by this rigged system of capitalism, which in turn has thrown the majority of mankind upon the junk heap, while it buys off a percentage with jobs and security. The working class, which we must deal with today, shows very little resemblance to the working class of Marxist day. In the days of its infancy, Insecurity and instability, the working class was a very revolutionary and carried forward the struggle against the bourgeoisie. But through long and bitter struggles, the working class has made some inroads into the capitalist system, carving out a comfortable niche for itself. The advent of labour unions, collective bargaining in the union shop, social security and other special protective legislation has castrated the working class transforming it into the most bought off labour movement and most unrevolutionary reformist minded movement that is only interested in higher wages and more job security the labour movement has abandoned all basic criticism of the capitalist system and exploitation itself the George meany is Walter Ruth's and A. Philip Randolph's may correctly be labelled traitors to the proletariat as a whole, but they accurately reflect and embody the outcome and aspirations of the working class. The Communist Party, the United States of America, at its poorly attended meetings, may raise the roof with its proclaim of being the vanguard of the working class, but the working class itself looks upon the democratic party as the legitimate vehicle for its political salvation. As a matter of fact, the working class of our time has become a new industrial elite, resembling more the chauvinistic elites of the selfish craft and trade guilds of Marxist time than toiling masses ground down in abject poverty. Every job on the market in the American economy today demands a high and complexity of skills, as did the jobs in elite trade and craft guilds in Marx's time. In a highly mechanised economy, it cannot be said that the fantastical high productivity is the product solely of the working class. Machines and computers are not members of the working class, although some spokesmen for the working class, particularly some Marxist Leninists, seem to think like (laughs) like machines and computers. The flames of revolution, which once raged like an inferno in the heart of the working class in our day, have dwindled into flickering candlelight. Only powerful enough to bounce the working class back and forth like a ping pong ball between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party every four years, never once even glancing at the alternatives on the left. Who speaks for the lumpen proletariat? Shibby for one, but. Some Marxist-Leninists are guilty of that class egotism and hypocrisy often displayed by superior classes to those beneath them on the social scale. On the one hand, they freely admit that their organisations are specifically designed to represent the interests of the working class, but then they go beyond that to say that by representing the interests of the working class, they represent the interests of the proletariat as a whole. This is clearly just not true. This is a fallacious attempt based upon the egotism of these organisations and is partly responsible for their miserable failure to make a revolution in Babylon. And since there clearly is a contradiction between the right wing and the left wing of the proletariat, Just as the right wing has created its own organisations, it is necessary for the left wing to have its form of organisation to represent its interests against all hostile classes, including the working class. The contradiction between the lumpen and the working class is very serious because it even dictates a different strategy and set of tactics. The students focus their rebellions on the campuses, and the working class focuses its rebellions in the factories and the picket lines. But the lumpen finds itself in a peculiar position of being unable to find a job, and therefore is unable to attend the universities. The lumpen has no choice but to manifest its rebellion in the university of the streets. It's very important to recognise that the streets belong to the lumpen. And that it is on the streets that the lumpen will make their rebellion. One outstanding characteristic of the liberation struggle of the black people in the United States has been that most of the activity has taken place in the streets. This is because by and large the rebellions have been spearheaded by black lumpen. It is because of the black people's lump relationship to the means of production and the institutions of the society that they are able to manifest their rebellion around those means of production and institutions. But this does not mean that the rebellions that take place in the streets are not legitimate expressions of an oppressed people. These are the means of rebellion left open to the lumpen. The lumpen of being locked outside of an economy. And when the lumpen does engage in direct action against the system of oppression, it is often greeted by hoots and howls from the spokesmen of the working class in chorus with the mouthpieces of the bourgeoisie. These talkers like to put down the struggles of the lumpen as if being spontaneous, perhaps because they themselves did not order these actions, unorganised and chaotic and undirected. But these are the only prejudiced analysis made from the narrow perspective of the working class. But the lumpen moves anyway, refusing to be jacketed or t- controlled by the tactics dictated by the conditions of life and a relationship to the means of production of the working class. The lumpen finds itself in a position where it is very difficult for it to manifest its complaints against the system. The working class has the possibility of calling a strike against the factory and the employer through the mechanism of labor unions that they they can have some arbitration or some process by which its grievances are manifested. Collective bargaining is the way out of the pit of oppression and exploitation discovered by the working class, but the lumpen has no opportunity to do any collective bargaining. The lumpen has no institutionalised focus in capitalist society, it has no immediate oppressor except perhaps the pig police with which it's confronted with daily, so that the very conditions of life of the lumpen dictate the so-called spontaneous reactions against the system. And because the lumpen is in this extremely oppressed condition, it is therefore has an extreme reaction against the system as a whole. It sees itself as being bypassed by all of these organisations, even the Labour unions and even the Communist parties, the spider, you know, looked down upon it and considered it to be, in the Wales of Karl Marx, the father of Communist parties, the scum layer of society. The lumpen is forced to create its own forms of rebellion that are consistent with its condition in life, with its relationship to the means of production and the institutions of society. That is, to strike out at all the structures around it, including at the reactionary right wing of the proletariat when it gets in the way of revolution. The faulty analysis which the ideologies of the working class have made of the true nature of the lumpen are greatly responsible for the problems of the, de- of the development of the revolution in urban situations. It can be said that the two revolutionaries in the urban centres of the world have been analysed out of the revolution by some Marxist-Leninists. But yeah, there you go, people, that was the ideology of the Black Panthers. How much of that resembles what I've been saying down this microphone for so long? I know this is just coming from my own conclusions. I'm sure many of you have had your own. Um, because this just continues to ring true. Today, uh, you know, talks about the Black radical tradition, You know, Marxist-Leninism not representing them. And so the Panthers had to try and find, you know, their synthesis. And people have to do the same today. Uh, you know super important crucial stuff it analyzed the lumpen as basically the left wing of the proletariat and the working class as the right wing as a proletariat that was a cool observation i'm going to take with me into the future but yet this just continues to build on where our material conditions, because you can't disprove it, this is just Marxist-Leninism through and throughout, you know, scientific socialism added on with what the Panthers dealt with and it worked for them. Yes, some of them got shot but and murdered, but that just proves that it was a working technique and it forced the contradictions of the state to do that. So, this, you know, you'll see Marxist lumpen come out of this theory. So if you like this, please do support us on Patreon. Really need it now because I'm lumping as fuck. No job, no income. Patreon.com slash lumping podcast. You'll also get bonus episodes and things like that. We Always reach out if you thought this was interesting. Give us a follow on all of our social medias too. So Twitter is lumping underscore radio and TikTok is revlumprad.com. Find us on Instagram now as well. We've got a new account. And as always, been saying it since dawn, workers and lumpen of the world, unite. I don't
1: drive a car because they run on gas. But if I did, it run on biomass. I ride a bike. Or sometimes they skateboard So fuck off all you drivers And your yuppie hordes Sitting all day In the traffic queues I'm a better anarchist than you I don't eat meat I just live on moldy chives Or the donuts that I found In last week's dumpster dives Look at you people in that restaurant I think you are so sad When you could have been eating bagels Like the ones that I just had I think it is a shame on the watch. Things you do. I'm a better anarchist than you. I don't wear leather and I like my clothes in black. And I made a really cool hammock from a moldy coffee sack. I like to hop on freight trains. I think that is so cool. It's so much funner doing this than being stuck in school. I can't believe you're wearing those brand new shiny shoes. I'm a better anarchist than you. I don't have sex and there will be no sequel because heterosexual relationships are inherently unequal i'll just keep on moshing to anti-flag and crass until there are no differences in gender race or class all you brainwashed breeders you just haven't got a clue i'm a better anarchist than you I don't believe in leaders, I think consensus is the key. I don't believe in stupid notions like representative democracy. Whether or not it works, I know it is the case that only direct action can save the human race. So when I see you in your voting booth, then I know it's true. I'm a better anarchist than you. I am not a pacifist I like throwing bricks and when the cops have poppy And I've taken a few licks I always feel lucky if I get a bloody nose Because I feel so militant and everybody knows By the time the riot is all through I'm a better anarchist than you I'm a better anarchist than you